Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. That's at Patreon.com/slash I Love That Movie. And if you like what you're hearing today, um, you know the Patreon just has an extra bonus weekly episode of everything I'm watching that week. And I want to take a moment to thank our top patrons, and they are Chris Balga, Jeff Woodman, Philip Barker, and Michael Cross. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. Um, and on that note, if you like this episode, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. Well, I've got a returning voice uh, on the podcast today. I've got Matthew Malice of the Polyhedron Podcast. Say hi, Matthew. Hello. Hello, everyone out there in movie land. I hope everyone's doing okay. <laughs> yep. And uh so the last time I had you on we were talking about the burbs. Yep. Not, yeah. not the things that fly in the sky, but the places <laughs> that people the middle class is supposed to try to, you know. You you get kicked a house. off a trend actually. After that we ended up talking about a lot of like Tom Hanks movies. Oh yay. <laughs> so uh, you must have you must have influenced the he's next a gem. He's a he's a gem of an actor, so. He really is. He really is. Um so uh, if if they haven't heard that episode, would you mind introducing yourself just a little bit? Yes. Um, as she said, I am Matthew Malice. I am the producer and co-host of the Polyhedron Podcast, a podcast about role-playing games. We've been going around for like upwards of five years now or something silly like that. So we've been doing it for a minute. Uh, I also do like various other podcasting work here and there and various other media. Uh, but that's primarily what I do right now, which is the podcasting with my buddies. Nice. So my guest always picks the movie. What movie did you choose to talk about today? I chose uh, the 2014, I think, classic, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yes, um, I I am a pretty big Wes Anderson fan. I like mm -hmm. quite a few of his films. Um, he does have a very stylistic style i guess of filming well if you look at what when you watch a west anderson movie you know you're watching a west anderson movie a hundred percent there's no and. mistaking it <laughs> <laughs> this is true and i think this movie kind of combines the best of his visual style but also just i don't know he, he touches on some really deep stuff some funny stuff like it's kind of got the best of everything he does i feel like in one film it uses his whimsy to its utmost yeah Use and style. exactly um so so tell me a little bit about your wes anderson journey like 
Did you see this movie when it came out in theaters? Yes. Were you already a fan? Yeah, well, I'd, I saw it when it came out. I was becoming a Wes Anderson fan. Now, I will say I've not watched a lot of Wes Anderson movies other than this one. I've watched Life Aquatic. Uh, I've watched, uh, I think, what's the other one? The Royal Tenenbaums. Mm-hmm. Um, I've watched that one, and I've watched this one. And I will say this is the one I enjoy the most. You know, I think even if you were a dedicated fan, you would probably still say that. I've noticed that a lot of uh, fans of his work still kind of hold this one up as like the best of. Like, so I don't think you're that far off. I will say I think you should watch Rushmore. (laughs) That's one of my favorite films. I remember when that was a big thing and I just didn't watch it because everyone was talking about it. (laughs) But that was like a long time ago. Like, yeah. I mean, this is like young Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, but... because he did like Bottle Rocket, and mm-hmm. then I think he did Rushmore soon after that. Yeah. I mean, I may be incorrect. The Imdaba will be will correct me. Uh, <laughs> no, it's one of his earlier films, and it's yeah. a little less. It's a little less quirky. Um, oh yeah. It's a little bit more straightforward comedy, but it's it's one of my favorites. Oh yeah, I was um, absolutely correct. Uh, Nineteen ninety six was Bottle Rocket, and then. 1998 was Rushmore. Wow. So right after. Yeah. Right. Like Rushmore was what I remember when people started talking about Wes Anderson. And then especially with the Royal Tenenbaums followed by Life Aquatic. Mm-hmm. That's where like everything kind of just Wes Anderson was a name. Yes. I agree. And I even I even think Rushmore might have had some like MTV connection or something. Like I yeah. feel like I saw the ads for it. A lot on MTV back it, when MTV was It became a MTV. phenomenon amongst my generation. Because you got to remember, 1998, I am, I am 16, 17. I'm getting close to the end of high school. It's about high school. Yes. But but it's a weird, it's the artsy like high school movie because it's Wes Anderson because he doesn't do anything. He's not a, he has his own particular like, as the as they would say, oeuvre his own bigger mm-hmm. style. Um, and so because of that, Rushmore was like, people talked about Rushmore because of how yeah. unique it was. Yeah, for sure. But um, with this movie, so I, I guess I've been a fan really since Rushmore, but um, I previous to this, I would say I really like Royal Tenenbaums. That was mm-hmm. probably my favorite film. And I think it's always going to hold a special place in my heart. That was probably when I, became like a serious fan <laughs> that, that, um, i remember watching the royal tenenbaums and going okay i like this style this is a very yes. interesting story mm-hmm. it's got this like 70s influence also that's interesting I, I don't know i just like the aesthetics of it but also the story and it's funny like it was good and this kind of reminds me of that a little bit you know more oh, yeah. than like moonrise kingdom or some of the other ones fantastic mr fox this is like almost like classic wes anderson so Mm-hmm. Um, the, it, uh, it was an instant like when I saw it. Yeah, the weird thing about like like Wes Anderson. I know we're just talking about Wes Anderson rather than uh, Budapest Hotel. Is <laughs> we'll get to that, it. Yeah, we will. Uh, Wes Anderson like has this weird nostalgia for a time that he he's a young guy. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't live through that like in that era those eras. Like right, he has such right. a like a, a reverence for it. Well, I would say reverence just in the 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 feel of it rather than anything in in that uh the actual era yes 
Very true. I, I completely agree. Um, and, and I think that's made me like it more as well. You know, yearn for an era. I wasn't alive in either. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> because of uh-huh. his movies. Um, I did not see this in theaters though. Weirdly. I know for a fact I saw it on digital release and I don't remember why it must've just been a busy time in my life and I just didn't make it to the theaters. So right. I saw it after the fact and I was talking to my husband about it today and he was like, I've never seen it still. And I was like, wow, that's so weird. Cause now I've seen it twice. And I was like, I feel really bad. You haven't seen it. Like, I think maybe, um, you need to like immediately. <laughs> Cause I feel like I, you'd really I, like I, it. I would, if anyone was like, I've never seen it. I'd be like, this is the one you need to sit down and watch. Mm-hmm. 100%. You'll, you'll like it. You will enjoy it because even if you're not like into Wes Anderson, it's whimsical and fun and funny enough that it just, kind of gets you and tells you a nice story it's a sad story but it is a nice story Mm -hmm. and you know uh to kind of piggyback off of that um we will be talking spoilers i don't Mm -hmm. do like a spoiler free and then a spoiler filled version it's just kind of going to be a discussion as you've heard so far so i'm going to read a a quick synopsis of the uh, movie but if you haven't seen it i would pause here go watch it and then come back so for back here is the summary Uh, It's in the 1930s in the Grand Budapest Hotel is a popular European ski resort presided over by concierge Gustav H. Zero, a junior lobby boy, becomes Gustav's friend and protege. Gustav prides himself on providing first-class service to hotel's guests, including satisfying the sexual needs of the many elderly women who stay there. When one of Gustav's lovers dies mysteriously, Gustav finds himself the recipient of a priceless painting and the chief suspect in her murder. It's just got such a fantastic plot <laughs> for this. That is film. that is one tenth of the plot of this movie. True, true, true. There's a lot going on. I was wondering probably... how you were gonna syn- like like synopsis because <laughs> that is... is not how this movie starts. That's... <laughs> it's like the gist, but it's not all yes, of it for sure. That's true. Um. So this this movie was the highest grossing movie to date of writer, producer, and director Wes Anderson's career. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, nice. I, yeah, I didn't realize that, but it makes sense. Like I do again, I feel like that's the one that I hear about the most. Um, and despite the movie's title, Wes Anderson confessed in a national public radio interview that Prague was his main source of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is cool. I like. Yeah, Prague, it's just so. a hotel called the Grand Budapest. Like, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the opening bust in the film itself are inspired by the writings of Stephen Stefan Zewig, although the films of Ernst Lubitsch may have played a bigger role. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes Anderson came across one of, I'm probably saying his name wrong, Zwig's <laughs> novels in a Parisian bookstore, read it for 45 minutes, and then he bought it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When you love something, when you get into something, you're into something. Yeah, so I I don't know. I just kind of like that. I I think feel like that's unique because most of his stuff is like all just from him, you know. Mm. So I kind of liked that little backstory about the about the plot. Um, did you want to talk a little bit? We kind of talked about Wes Anderson. So do you want to talk a little bit about the cast? Sure. Yeah, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Whenever <laughs> you want to talk about it, uh, the cast is is all of the Wes Anderson uh, sort of players like. You've seen any West Anderson movie? You've probably seen most of these people before. This is true. You got because you got um, was it uh, Adrian Brody? You got uh, Jude Law, Edward Norton, Bill Murray. Uh, you got uh, Bill Murray, of course, is famous for being 
Wes Anderson films. He's like yes. in every single one. Uh, the person who took me away that I forgot was in this was Tilda Swinton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was before Tilda Swinton was like Tilda Swinton. Like, I mean, she was a very well-known actress and all that other stuff. But like, I didn't realize that was her because I didn't know who Tilda Swinton was when I saw the movie. Ah, yeah. I think my introduction to Tilda Swinton was probably, weirdly enough, it was uh, Constantine. Remember yeah, that, that movie? Yeah, that was mine. That was mine too. Yeah. So it's like, oh, that lady. <laughs> Oh, that lady. But you're right. She wasn't like in everything the way yes. she is now. No, no. She was still she was still grinding, as it were. But she has definitely become much bigger than, um, yeah. Just a a great like actors movie. Like yes, if you were to say anything about all these actors, is these are people who love acting. Like mm-hmm. they obviously enjoy the fame, the fortune, all that fun stuff. But like. There, there's a craft to a lot of these people because you can look at almost any of their, like, uh, I, I want to say filmography. I guess that would be the right term. Uh, if you look at anything, the things they've done, they've done a wide range of things because they've obviously experimented with the craft of acting. Mm-hmm. Although I think the film kind of really centers on Gustav's character, which mm-hmm. I think was actually written for Ray Fiennes. And you really feel that <laughs> watching it, yeah. like hard to imagine anyone else being that character. And it's just very enjoyable. Yeah, it's very interesting. Like Will Fiennes is like a very intriguing character, but obviously the story is about Zero. Yes, uh, very true, because he's the one narrating it. Yes. And ultimately it's his his journey, but but also his love for this mentor that yes. has a is a little odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but there's so many people I forget that were in it. Like you were saying, like I forgot Jeff Goldblum, which of course he would be, but uh, he's in it. Jude Law, Edward Norton, just so many names that yeah. Yeah, Harvey just, Keitel, like <laughs> it's just yeah, Owen Wilson's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, William, I like Dylan Defoe just because oh, he, have, Defoe's he amazing. has like two lines in the movie, but he's just a great presence in the movie because William Defoe is amazing. One hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, do you want to talk? Uh, let's talk about some of your favorite scenes from the movie. All right, let me think. Give me, give me a moment. It has been okay. a little bit. Um, uh, the the so I can't. So I think before we get into like what my favorite scenes are, mm-hmm. uh, we need to just talk about the cinematography of this movie. Yes, because absolutely. when you think about this movie, it's not like oh, I like this scene or that scene. It's like I liked how this movie was shot. Period. It's mm-hmm. very uniquely shot. It is all the aesthetics of Wes Anderson, but he does things with the 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 framing of the film, with the aesthetics of what you're seeing in each of the eras that you're in. Because this is sort of a this is about a person's life, yeah. and it, through the many different lenses of different narrators, and so in each of sort of the iterations uh, or layers that you're in, you get a different aspect ratio. You get a different aesthetic because it's in a different time period also the story itself sort of bends itself to the time period that it was in Mm -hmm. Um, and also the farther back you go the more whimsical the story gets and all that feeds into making this such a unique film um i think some of my favorite scenes would be anything where you're in the hotel dealing with the chaos of the hotel itself of like the fast dialogue and the movement between rooms. Mm-hmm. That well, that's something he does really well too. Like the sort of like dolly shots where yeah. 
like he's panning across a room sort of reminds you of like the shining or something. Um, yeah. And, and, and I noticed too, this time the, the colors, like the hues and how big of a difference, like you were saying sets a different tone for each time period. That yeah. And, but yeah. Yeah. And each something you'll know. So this is a bit of a story for me in watching this film. I did see it in theaters when it came out. Mm. This is like one of the few Wes Anderson movies I actually like sat down and watched um, in the theaters. And my story behind that is it was the one of the few movies I remember sitting down watching it going, oh, I know what he's doing. When he started going between the different aspect ratios between the different times, I immediately picked up on, oh, he's trying to emulate that time period using the aspect ratio. Oh, like the, that period of filming? That period of filming, but also the common aspect ratio you would want consumed media. Like mm. some of it's not all in cinema aspect ratio some of it is in tv oh okay i but, didn't realize that i'm not good at telling different aspect ratios so uh, that's well, interesting it was, it's fairly obvious whenever like just the screen itself changes size mm -hmm. um assuming it's not being auto adjusted for some reason i don't think i don't think anything you would have watched would have done that yeah um, uh is moment the moment he changed because what really took notice is when he goes to the 70s mm. Because he's in that cinemascope, really wide, big shot. And you get those long, wide shots of inside sort of the retro Budapest, where it's not the classic Budapest. It's a yeah. more modern-looking, quote-unquote, modern-looking Budapest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That that sort of retro 70s sci-fi, sci like, we're, we're trying to be hip for the future. But also, you, you can tell that the, the hotels had its heyday. Like, they're oh, really yeah, good absolutely. at, like, making you feel all of that. Uh, in well, that it's scene. very quiet. There's no other there's no other um, guests around. Uh, it feels more like a, a weird, isolated resort than, like, a bustling yeah. hotel. But regardless of that, of, like, realizing when he goes to the 70s and he's in that white cinemascope. Because I like watching movies like The Shining and a lot of other movies from the 70s. You get that wide shot and then immediately clicked in my head oh he's trying to pull you into the media of that time yeah that's of true i remember like explaining to somebody uh because I, I i guess the mash movie came out in the 70s as well right like so, before yes. the show and i remember someone telling me they thought that show was like super boring and that it was hard to follow because all the characters like there's a lot of master shots in that movie where all the characters are talking at the same time like mm -hmm. a real conversation and they're like, this is weird. And I'm like, this is like a style like of that time, though. Mm. Like, and it's also more like a real conversation because in a real conversation, it doesn't like, you know, it's like cut to me, cut to you. It's like we're all talking at once and you feel like you're really there. I people, think when seems like that happen. each other. And, yeah, and, yeah, and exactly. Trying to get a, like using their body language to interrupt other people. Yeah, so the conversation yeah. Can keep can go quickly. Mm hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I, I I agree with you. I hadn't thought about those scenes that way, but you're absolutely right. They do sort of put you in that time period, and that is like a really clever way to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even in like the modern, like the the, the shots of the beginning, very beginning, and the very end of the film, where you see the girl who's reading the book. Oh yeah, yeah. Those are in a very modern style. Mm -hmm. Both from like a visual standpoint, like a aspect ratio aspect point, and a visual style. Uh, but still being very Wes, Wes Anderson. Uh, but then as things progress, you start going back in time and things start changing um, and progressing in the story. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I like what you said about, you know, the hotel being really busy and sort of enjoying that. I feel like I've always had like a soft spot for hotels. <laughs> and yeah. and like I really I'm not gonna say that I relate to to Gustav, like I'm not like Gustav, but I love <laughs> his the way he romanticizes I really like the way he romanticizes working for a hotel and being in service. Like he's just it's so it, it's it's kind of like Downton Abbey or something you know, where he's so just I, like so, really romanticized that. So I'm going to interrupt you here. I'm going to cook your noodle a little bit because okay. thought of the Gustav that you know and love, you enjoy, right? Mm-hmm. Is the interpretation of, of zero, a boy, yeah, of a boy who has no family, no father, and this is a retelling of a story to a guy who's going to write a book about the Grand Budapest, right? So think about that for a little while of just like you, this movie is drenched in, in, uh, in, um, unreliable narrator. I think that's why it's so enjoyable though. Like all of it is like that. Like I think, and I think they give you a lot of hints in the film that Gustav's character is probably not (laughs) Not the guy guy. that, yeah, not the guy that zero sees him as, but more of like a con artist that got away with a, kind of a terrible crime Um, but but at the same time you know that he and the busboy share commonality in the fact that i mean it's never explicitly said but i feel like gustav comes from a more working class background and that's why he's so obsessed with wealth and you know rising his station in life and he's been able to sort of hide behind his position but i mean even at some points in the movie we see where he sleeps at night and where he eats and it's not glamorous no so he's always kind of shooting for getting out of there at the same time that he romanticizes the job to everyone else well he's He's kind of a big phony (laughs) yeah well he's well he's not a big phony i think he's like i i this is what i do in my life yeah who i am and gustav is will never be anyone who he's not as it were at least from what okay okay him to be yeah but again, this is all just like the narrator of who we because we'll never we'll never really see Gustav through the lens of Gustav, right? So lens of something else that's going on. Let's talk a little bit about Tilda Swinton's makeup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's also why you don't really notice it's Tilda Swinton. Yeah, because she's playing like someone who's like 84, I think, or yeah, 94. Like, she's a very old woman. Very old lady that, yeah. you know, is in love with Gustav. And this is what Gustav does. He woos ladies. I, I like that scene where they said, you know, they're always old. They're insecure. They're vain and blonde. And he's like, why blonde? He's like, because they all were. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but her makeup in this movie is really good. And I saw like a quick snippet that Wes Anderson said, hey, you know what? We got the budget on this one. Let's get the best guys in town and like have really good old age makeup. So that's kind of why it looks so good. It kind of stands out in the film because there's not a lot of other special effects, but yeah, she does look really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. It was it's really good, and I just enjoyed like she's not in the movie long because she's no. sort of the main main thrust of like what some the thing that changes Gustav's life in order to force zero into a new and different situation. Yeah. Yeah, she is uh she is killed and we later find out murdered. Mm. Um and now there's a big, you know, as as happens with rich when rich people pass on, there's a big upset over 
who gets her inheritance. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, there's yeah, and there's about a painting. I forgot was it the boy and apple? I think it's yeah, called. the boy and the apple, or the boy yeah. and apple. We have boy and apple. <laughs> yeah. And so then we get introduced to this side plot too of Zero and Cersei's character, Cersei Ronan, uh, yeah. and this theft of this painting mm-hmm. that you know, so that Gustav can basically have an inheritance. Yeah. Well, the idea is like. He, the 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 painting has been given to Gustav, and but everyone wants to because it's supposed to be priceless. Yeah. And but but everyone's like, well, Gustav just just a, the manager of a hotel, right? He's not one of the children or or blood of the of Tilda Swinton's character, and so everyone's trying to get it because it it's worth the fortune. Yes. Yeah. And we get introduced to like Adrian Brody's character, which he plays like a very different character than. I've ever seen him play. Yeah. Um, he's her son who is, you know, intense to yes. say the least <laughs> and is not happy about uh, Ray Fine's character getting, you know, yeah. this well, every character in this movie, especially as you go back is more and more intense. Yes. It's more <laughs> a caricature than a character. I would Very say much. So, yeah. Um, like zero is the only one that we really get like a three, almost a 360 degree viewpoint on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty true. What are some of the other scenes that you enjoy? Oh, I'm trying to remember because I've been th- talking about this and like my brain's been trying to go through. Cause like I said, since this is an intense movie, there are many scenes that just like pop out at you and sort of like, it's almost an oversaturation because yeah. there's so much going on and so much um, sort of like data that's assaulting you because all the colors are bright and interesting. Uh, all the framing is really good. Um, the, I guess, I guess some of the good, another scene I really enjoyed because this is a, this is sort of like a hint of things to come is the when they when they have to go up the mountain to the monastery mm-hmm. and it all becomes uh sort of uh not not animatronic um puppetry uh yeah it all becomes sort of like the fantastic mr fox uh 3d animation that's right like like actual um puppetry and like like it because they instead of like showing you like a fantastical chase, they do this like puppetry thing of showing you them going up sort of the ski the the, the ski lift to the abbey where they have to go hide out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a, true. I hadn't thought about that. Mm-hmm. It's one of those. That's definitely a takeaway scene because just of like it's them trying to hide and then them realizing they have to go back to to deal with the situation. They just can't, you know, uh, lay low as it were. <laughs> there's there's a lot of really good scenes in this movie like you said it's like you could almost pick any scene mm. um there's a couple things that i really enjoy number one is when he ends up like uh when gustav ends up in, in prison yes and he's still like no matter what situation he's in he's very like optimistic that you know there's been a mistake he's gonna get out um and there's like a scene where he's you know, talking to uh, Zero from behind bars and uh, he tells him, you know, that that you have to be really tough in prison and that he got beat up. But then that person becomes a friend 
Yeah. And he's like, I hope you'll meet him, actually. It's <laughs> just so, like at the time you kind of think he's lying, but then later we do meet him. Yeah. Well, also, <laughs> another thing about Gustav, and this, again, more fantasy, uh, like something fantastical is like Gustav is the consummate gentleman. No yes. matter what situation he's in. So when he's <laughs> yeah. in prison, everyone starts like falling in love with him because he's just <laughs> a very nice man. Like Gustav is just trying to be very helpful to everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it, the, it, it's funny. And, and yeah, the, the prison and the break, prison break is great. <laughs> yeah, the prison break scene is pretty good. Um, I enjoyed any of the scenes with Zero and uh, Agatha. Oh, uh, yeah. Because that's such, 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 such wonderful sort of the young love, like yes. youthful love, uh, innocent love, and like the idea that, the, and eventually they like, they get married and it gets sad after that point, but it's like, just this idea and you just you're rooting for them the whole time. Yeah. It's a very sweet relationship and she's a sweet person and he is too. And so you kind of can't wait for them to get together. I, yep. I agree. Um, the other big element that I like is the crossing of the keys club or whatever <laughs> that uh, Gustav um, towards the end of the movie, he's like, I'm going to have to make a call. And like, it turns oh, yeah, out yeah. there's this like sort of a uh, hotel concierge, um, ring all over the world <laughs> of people that can leap into action and help each other with all their connections. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, there's like a montage of all the different like Belmont or that's different. That's right. Uh, that's right. Now I'm remembering that scene, and that's where we get like cameos from a lot of other actors. Yeah, like Bill movie. Murray. Yeah. Yeah. But one of my favorite scenes, uh, there's like this running sort of joke of in each each person they show us each uh, concierge is they're in charge. They're doing stuff. And then all of a sudden they get a call and their, their bellboy steps in kind of like the way that we've seen Gustav and his bellboy yep. operate. But one of the funniest scenes is that <laughs> they're on like a tennis court and the concierge is like performing CPR on <laughs> a collapsed guest. And then he gets a call and he's like, can you step in? And the bellboy goes and <laughs> just, I don't know. I, I enjoyed all that a lot. I thought it was very funny the way they portrayed that job being so incredibly important. Um, They're in the hospitality business and that creates a (laughs) brotherhood, a friendship, a fellowship, if you will. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It was, it was just like, there are so many fantastical things in the movie. And then when we got to that point, I just, I I thought that was hilarious. I I really liked it. Yeah. I enjoyed the, the whimsy of it because it's Wes Anderson. It's whimsical. You're gonna, you kind of, once you get into the mode, you really, really enjoy it. Like it's just, yeah. it's just fun. And it's a, and it's an adventure story. It's it a, is. Just, at this heart, it's an adventure story about a person's life, um, but between that's taking place between World War One and World War Two, which is mm-hmm. kind of important. Like yeah. the cultural context of the movie is important because it's this time of like transition. Because when we think of World War II, when that starts off, we're thinking basically the modern era, like the yeah. modern geopolitical era. And like between the t- between the two great wars, you have this weird time where things are, are classical and new. Mm-hmm. Like things are moving and changing. Um, the world is both becoming is becoming smaller but also more segregated. It's a very interesting little like time period. Um, yeah. And I think it, I think it captures that sort of tumlet very, very well. And zero's background is pretty interesting. We don't learn until far into the movie when, uh, when Gustav like insults him 
about like why he came to this country and stuff like that. Yep. And then and then Zero like tells him his history. He's like, oh well, I I came over because of the war and I lost my whole family and all that. And then of course Gustav is very apologetic. But I think it just speaks to that time period you're talking about. Well, there's a lot of unrest on each side. Yes. Uh, yes. But then there's also these long periods of like not having that. And so it's it's just like a weird, eerie in between. And yeah, as and, the film goes on, we get more of it. And the Budapest, if you notice, is constantly trying to be sort of a neutral zone. Yeah, kind of like a Casablanca yeah, sort of situation. Yeah, it's to be a neutral zone, especially towards the end of the movie where we start getting sort of the hints. Uh, because it's supposed to, where's it, is it actually supposed to take place in Budapest? I feel I like forgot. it's like not in a real country. Okay, Like yeah. they kind of kept it neutral by like making up a yeah, country. Yeah, I think I remember that correctly. It's like they kept yeah. it like vague enough with the references that you couldn't really tell where it's from it it feels like eastern europe but yes not yeah. sure yeah it's someplace eastern europe it's got mountains that's yeah. where it's at <laughs> um, exactly and then just like the idea that it gets occupied eventually by by obviously analogs to the nazis and yeah. just the idea that this place is very important strategically but it's also like culturally important therefore it's both valuable and slightly untouchable Mm -hmm. um, but only because Gustav makes it like that. Yeah. Um, and he, how he operates determines a lot of what starts happening and ultimately the deterioration, deterioration, man, I can't talk tonight. Uh, no, it's okay. Deterioration. It's just a difficult word to say. Yeah, yeah sorry. I'm just, I'm very nasally today because my i honestly i i have been to like the past two weeks i'm just kind of at this point embracing it yes <laughs> deterioration uh, I, I don't deterioration. know yeah just the breakdown <laughs> of the hotel mm -hmm. is because of goose because gustav uh can't be neutral anymore and he has to take some sides and he yeah just sort of pisses everyone off and eventually even though he's in the right in most of it yeah and also, I feel like because he got so rich, you know, it's yeah. that's got to be distracting too. He doesn't, his life doesn't depend on the job the way that it initially did because he started as a bellboy as well, right? He kind of rose to that rank. Right. This is sort of like the passing of the torch story because Zero is like, it's obviously like, oh, Zero's going to take over the Budapest one day because Gustav sees Zero as himself, as a younger version yeah. of himself. And just this, this cycle is going to continue, and that's how the Budapest operates. But that is not how it, like, it ultimately, it does go that way, but not in the way that Gustav wanted, obviously. Yeah, well, Gustav has a, uh, has a pretty tragic end in the movie yes. um, that we later find out. Defending Zero, which, again, like, you do wonder, like, is that actually how it happened, or is that how he remembers it happening but regardless he steps in uh when some uh soldiers stop them when they're going i think across country right yes yeah they like they resolved everything they're taking like basically our own vacation yeah and the he basically stands up for zero and ends up getting killed because zero is obviously not very european looking mm -hmm. and so he gets questioned and stopped a lot and gustav being a prideful man a man who's like of a man who could talk his way of anything ends up not being able to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah. It's almost like maybe they shouldn't have gone on the vacation. Yeah, I don't well, know, but if you notice that's the, the movie ends very interestingly because 
all the tragic shit happens like in the last 10 minutes of the movie. It really does. Like it's, everything else is not tragic the way that the ending is. Yeah, you know, everything else is like there are hints of sadness, there are hints of like ennui in the movie, but it's mostly an adventure all the way through because it's a man telling a story to an author about the hotel and his life. And then yeah. Then and he sort of wraps it up very quickly, saying, this is what happened to Gustav. This is what happened to my wife and my child. This is where I'm at, and now I am telling you the story. And the the man he's telling to is the man who writes the Grand Budapest Hotel book, which later the, the, the girl in the modern era reads. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because Gustav left everything to him. Yep. But you can tell he's just so devastated because he lost the most important people in his life, the the uh, riches never meant a lot to him. No. So, yeah. you know, like you said, in the end, he's like, well, yeah, now I have the hotel, but like, look around, you know, it's kind of, things have changed. Um, and then you're right, then it kind of bookends with the girl reading the book at the end. And that it, statue, is the statue of Gustav? No, that, I think if I remember reading, watching something, they mentioned that is a statue, I think of that poet, you talked about oh okay okay that makes sense <clears throat> yeah <clears throat> so okay so, so even in the context of the movie he has influence in the film well that makes correct. sense if he inspired it yeah yeah that that, that was a, like an homage to to the man who inspired the whole movie and because technically if i remember watching this correctly the man who's the statue of is i think who jude law is Oh, he's just okay. known as writer, young writer, uh, and old writer, and author. They're the same person. I see. Okay, that They're makes sense. They're all the same person through time because the whole point is it's about the man who writes the story about the story that that is Zero slash uh, uh, Mr. Mo, uh, Mustafa, which is what Zero's real name is. Because mm. Mr. Mustafa and Zero are the same person. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, the guy at the end that's playing him as an older person. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't think I put that together before, but that makes a lot yeah, of yeah. sense. Uh, the, so, yeah, the, because the story is about a girl reading a book who's reading a who the story then goes to the author who's going to write the book and about a time in which he was he his uh he had a writer's block and so he went to this place called the grand Budapest hotel in the 70s and he met a man named mr uh, mustafa which is the owner of the grand budapest he mm. has dinner he starts telling his story that's when we transition into back in time and by the end of the movie you realize he's zero yeah and that this is what what has come of the hotel and himself and his life yeah. Wow. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he's we dealing with jumped... lots of layers. Oh, go ahead. Oh, say that again? Sorry. He's dealing with lots of layers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's like one of those things where, you know, I really enjoy this film. I've seen it a couple of times, but it kind of kind of gave me more to think about. Um, you know, we this reminds me of another film we talked about. Hmm? Kind of reminds you a little bit of Jojo Rabbit. Yes, absolutely. 100%. I can't imagine that wasn't influenced by this. Oh, I, I doubt it. I mean, <laughs> Wes Anderson's been, he's, he's a very good filmmaker. He's one yeah. of those, he's, he's one of those artiste filmmakers. So artisans who's like, I don't have a lot of projects under my belt, but each one I do is very 
succinct and unique and I have a, a very particular vision that I'm trying to get across. And so you can't help but have that that kind of skill and talent obviously yeah. is going to make people inspire other people in the industry. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, have you seen the French Dispatch yet? No, I. that is one I will be eventually seeing. I will, yeah, I, I really want to see it. I haven't I haven't seen it yet either, but it you know, I've I've heard mixed things, but I feel like no matter what, I'm I'm gonna enjoy it. So <laughs> I think it's one of those things if if you're if you if you stand for Wes Anderson, you'll probably like like that. Yeah, like most stuff he makes. Yeah, yeah. But if but if you don't get it, it's probably not for you. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I think Grand Budapest is is absolutely for everyone. I, I agree. Um, you know, when people don't like Wes Anderson films or they don't like the aesthetic, they don't like certain choices and stuff. I'm like, I get it. You know, I mean, I like it, but yeah. not everybody has to. But I agree with you that this movie does kind of stand apart in, in, in a lot of ways. Oh, 100%. Um, it's, it's, it's a fantastic movie. It's gorgeously shot. The colors are so rich. Like, and each, and just the use of, of what the story is trying to do. And the kineticism of the movie, even though it's kind of a longish movie, how long is the movie again? Let uh, me see. What is the runtime? Uh, actually, it's only an hour and 40 minutes. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's why it feels fast. I thought it was a longer <laughs> movie. Hey, you not. know what? It's unlike him, I think, to have a movie that short, but it's well-timed. And it, oh, yeah. it, it, it goes through, like you said, so many time periods, it probably makes it feel a little bit longer, but... yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's probably the perfect amount of time, but, but I agree with, with what you're saying. And, and also I just like the fact that it introduced us to some actors that later went on to have big careers. Like you mentioned Tilda Swinton and of course, Cersei Ronan. Yep. Um, this is pre lady bird, I think. Yeah. And also uh, don't forget, don't forget zero himself, Tony. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, I, I probably butchered that name. Revo Liori. Revolori, maybe? Revolori uh, as Zero, who obviously is Flash Thompson in the Spider-Man films. Oh, yeah, duh. I, I knew I recognized him. I forgot yep. about that. This was obviously <laughs> his, his, this is an earlier role that he has. Yeah. Uh, so I was only want to talk about this movie because I have to shout out uh, Movies with Mikey. Are you familiar with that hymn? No, no. Okay, so there is a uh, there is a sort of a critic is not the right term sort of a um examiner of movies and film mm-hmm. he's got a series called movies with mikey he's a, he's oh, okay. a very well uh he's very well written and i i rewatched his breakdown of grand budapest um, and a lot of the stuff that he mentioned i saw in the film but then he mentioned some things that i hadn't seen when I watched it and was just mind blowing. So I definitely recommend anyone who oh, okay. likes listening to us talk and likes to know more about this movie should look up movies of Mikey, the grand Budapest hotel. It's 15 minutes long. It's punchy. It works really well because something that I love when I watched his sort of breakdown of it is everything. In the movie is framed. Yeah. Both literally and metaphorically. Gustav mm. is framed for a crime. He didn't commit. <laughs> Everyone, yeah, who walks, true. everyone who walks through a door is steps in the doorway and you see a frame around them. Oh, the, wow. The main MacGuffin of the movie is about a picture in a frame. In a frame. Hmm. And you're being Very told cool. a story in a certain frame of reference. Uh-huh. Wow. So I had Very to call cool. that out for a movie because that was not me. That's all Mikey. He, he, he observed that and I was like, oh, no, you're right. You're a thousand percent correct. 
I, I love when you enjoy something, like truly enjoy something and enjoy talking about it, but then you just learn more about it by talking yeah. to someone else or by watching or reading something someone else wrote. Um, and, and I think that's a classic example of it. I wouldn't have noticed that, but now that you say it, I, I'm not going to be able it, to unsee it. <laughs> I did not consciously put it together until he said it. And the moment he said it, I was like, dang it, you're, you're correct. I should have noticed that, but I was just enjoying the film too much. One more movie that this reminds me of, besides Jojo Rabbit, would be Paddington Two. Never have you seen any that? Of the Paddington movies, none of them. Oh my gosh, you have to see the second one. I I know that's that's probably sounds weird, me recommending that to you, but you have to see it because it is. It actually kind of reminds me of this movie. Okay, I it's, will. I will. Ex- I will. I will make some time. I'll put some time on my okay. schedule. So I can't remember who I heard it from. I heard it from a few different sources that were like, you've got to see Paddington too. And I'm like, well, I haven't seen the first one. They're like, doesn't matter. It is so enjoyable. Um, but it, it, it's got some similarities. Paddington uh, ends up in prison. He's got to break out of prison. He, he meets a bunch of people in prison that fall, that love him and, you know, they help each other. And so there's, there's some crossover with this movie. I think, I think you'll really like it. It's very endearing and, and, and well it's a shot sweet too, story, right? It's, yeah, yeah. And, and it's aesthetically, it kind of looks like this movie a little bit too. It's yep. interesting. So, anyway, well, uh, was there anything else? Uh, any other scenes that we hadn't touched oh, on? Man. That... We promised we could go this movie scene by scene. <laughs> I um, know. I loved all of the the chocolates and the cakes that they had. Oh yeah, I wanted yeah. To eat all of them, and I felt yes, so they bad looked delicious. For Agatha, and I was like, that man is being so mean to you. Hmm. And you, you, you make all the delicious things. You should be running everything. Uh, yes, I agree. <laughs> things in this movie because they're all delicious looking. Um, I also really like. Um, we already mentioned him before, but I really enjoy uh, what's his name's character. Uh, uh, Willem Dafoe. I really like Willem oh, yeah, Dafoe's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> character his, just like his, his... <laughs> as my buddy and i said a long time ago when we saw the movie we we're like he's just like this gargoyle i know movie. <laughs> he's perfect um the hand chopping stuff the other yeah the, the just... punching the punching everyone gets punched in the face and then he just punches <laughs> the last person and he's the only one that's standing because he just wanted to punch someone in the face like just the just the, the the style of it and just the like the delivery of it is so good Yes, it's and when so he's on handy. that motorcycle, like that's another interesting stylistic choice where yep. it's like the old school, like a screen behind him instead of him really being there. I don't okay. know, I just enjoy all that. You never see him, yeah, you never see him on the motorcycle. He is just doing the classic, I'm on a motorcycle with a screen running behind me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and therefore that's that's the point of like, like it's supposed to reference you in the time period of like, they wouldn't have used those types of shots Back in the day when they were filming something, they would have done that, which is right. have them just have a screen behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now it looks so goofy, but it's also kind of endearing to that time period. Right. Um, the other, the last thing I want to talk about is Panache. <laughs> the the cologne that um, that oh. Gustav loves. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Remember, I totally he's forgot, like I completely forgot about that. He's always bathing himself in panache, and uh, <laughs> and when he breaks out of prison, he like scolds Zero for not having this. Like, there's a few things that he expects Zero to just have, and one of them is this perfume. And then later in the movie, when uh, he he enacts like the golden or the 
the cross keys or whatever it's called. Yep. Um, Bill Murray has it for him and yes. like spritzes him with it. Gustav <laughs> expects a, he has a certain <laughs> standard for his protege to mm-hmm. meet and he needs to meet it. This is how this works. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I, I just, and, and the fact that it's called panache is really funny yeah, too. Of course, because he, he's got a lot of it, right? <laughs> yeah. I think later, you know, um, let me see. I'm going to look up the, the timing of this really quick. Just make sure I'm not wrong here. Yeah. He has a role that's, I don't know, that kind of echoes back to this a little bit when he's in Hail Caesar too. Uh, oh, yeah. Finds. Yeah. 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 A little bit. Yeah. It's been yeah. I've yeah. Hail Caesar once. It's been a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Would that it twere so simple. Yeah. Yes. He, uh, he, and Tilda Swinton's in that too. But anyway, I, I he's just such a great presence in this movie and, and does such a good job and it's very entertaining. I think um, I think uh, I want to put a shout out to uh, Murray Abraham F. Murray Abraham, the guy oh, who yeah, plays yeah. Mr. Mustafa. I think his gravity as this sort of world weary, nostalgic owner of the Grand Budapest Hotel is 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 very good. He doesn't have a ton of screen time. But it's it is very it grounds the movie and makes you think this was a li- like uh, this was a, a really a lived life like this was somebody yeah. who really did go through some of this stuff even though it's maybe a little fantastical a little a little embellished but he really did go through this life of this era of transition. Yeah, I agree, and. He played Antonio Salieri in Amadeus. I just looked yes. that up. Yes. <laughs> Didn't recognize actor. him, but I'm like, oh, he's yeah. such a great actor. Yeah. Amazing actor. Like, Wes Anderson doesn't, doesn't never put slouches in his movies. I never. know. I agree. It never, always, it's always a packed cast. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, there's even people we didn't even mention, like Tom Wilkinson's in it. <laughs> yep. Edward Newton's in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's just tons of people, and it's so yeah. good. So, and I think uh, the cinematographer was the same cinematographer that Wedger Sanderson basically has for all his movies. Mm, makes sense. Very consistent style, yeah, for sure. Exactly. Um, well, I guess that brings me to my last couple of questions for you then. Sure. Um, what? So if you had to summarize what we've talked about, like what about this movie like keeps you coming back to it. You know, why did you think of it as like, Oh, that's a movie I want to discuss. And then and sort of talk. Oh, about. Uh, why would I want to? Because it's so unique. Yeah. It's so, uh, it's an, okay. So this takes me back to a little bit of high school, sort of like the coming of age. Cause it is a coming yeah. of age story. It, it is. Yeah. Uh, but in, in high school, uh, a lot of the times for a lot of English projects, they'll make you read books uh, that are coming of age stories. Mm-hmm. And so this made me think about those times when I had to read those types of stories. Uh, and so it's like this idea of a story about a person long ago growing up and living their life and trying, going to school or being a part of an institution uh, and sort of the characters involved and how they grow and move through their life, how they grow into their life that they eventually live. But it all stems from that root time of their coming of age era. Yeah, completely agree. And how how would you pitch this movie to someone that hasn't seen it before? Ooh, ooh, ooh. how do you pitch Wes Wes Anderson's Grand Budapest Hotel? Hmm. Let me think. I would pitch it. Do you like sweet 
but uh, yeah, sweet but sad fantasy romps, oh, whimsical romps. Yeah, I think it's a really good way to describe it. You know, I think um, kind of like we've we've talked about, I really enjoy this film because I think it's like the best of what Wes Anderson does. 100%. Um, He's using, you know, every aspect of what he does really well in terms of like you talked about the uh, ratios, um, the uh, cinematography is perfect, the guy that he uses for that. Um, the cast is perfect. I mean, just everything that he does well is done extremely well in this movie. It's pretty much a masterpiece. And um, yeah, I think it's like if, if you want to dip your toe in in his world, like this is like probably the best thing you could see. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you wanted to like see the to date pinnacle Wes Anderson, this would be the best way to go through it. And yeah. then watch his other stuff. Because if you can digest this movie, you can get into the other movies. Because the other movies may turn you off if you're not prepared for them. The way Yeah, I feel like Life Aquatic and some of the other ones, they're so hyper-stylistic that, I don't know, they're, they're different than this movie a little bit. Yeah, they're they're also intense, straight, weirdly intense. Yeah, movies. they're 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 quirky and odd, and like yeah. more so than this film for this, sure. This movie feels more like a traditional movie because it has sort of plot. It has like yeah. <laughs> more like feels like traditional plot because there is a MacGuffin. So another yes. shout out to movies with Mikey because there's an observation that he has that I really enjoy about this movie is oh come on brain don't don't fail me now. Come oh on. no, it always does that when yeah. you're recording. Yeah, always. I know 100%. how it but regardless, uh, uh, sorry for my brain has left me. Uh, no, but no yes, uh, it's it's definitely a movie worth checking out, hundred percent. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if you, it's definitely. Uh, I would say if you like movies for being movies, this is definitely one you need to watch. Yeah, if you love film, like if yes, you just you like do. the cinematic experience, it's, if you just like yeah. film. Oh, now I remember. <laughs> Haha! I told oh, you. I knew I. I, I knew it would come back to you. Yeah. yeah. So the the idea is the reason why Grand Budapest Head is is movies with Mikey considers it one of Wes Anderson's best, and even you think it's the best, is because it fits his whimsical style very well. Because it's an unreliable story. Yeah, it's a modern, oh yeah, it's it's, it's hyper reality. Yeah, right, you're right. It's you being. 30 years older telling your kids or someone else about a story when you were younger. So you're Mm. just hitting the high points, the beats, you're hitting the big parts. You're not giving all the gritty details and the listeners filling in the blanks on their own. Wow. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. And so when you go back in time, the story gets more outrageous, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Like ever, the funny thing, he, Mikey points out uh, a lot of people die in this movie, but it's all off, almost <laughs> all off screen. Oh, that's true. It's like more of a you know, and then this happened kind yes, of thing. Yes, and this happened, and then you move on and you go to the more interesting and fun part of the story mm-hmm. rather than the sad part of the story, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's why it works best with Wes Anderson's style because that whimsy feels like warranted. It's allowed. Yeah. And like yeah. something like a life aquatic where it's ostensibly our our reality, our life, our modern life, that whimsy doesn't feel right because life is not that whimsical. Yeah, that, that movie's awful. just wacky almost. Yeah, wacky. <laughs> I still like it, but it's no, not no, my no. favorite of his. You should still watch it and still enjoy yeah. it. But it's the suspension of disbelief concept, right? 
uh-huh. because it is a story being told through an unreliable narrator, you give it a lot more leniency for not being real. I'm going to have to examine this thought and think about other movies that are like that, okay. that I do enjoy because the narrator is unreliable. There are tons of them. That, that yeah. is an entire subgenre. I remember <laughs> it was at Memento is like the first one that really cracked my noodle about that. Oh yeah. I love that movie. Yep. Such a good film. Yeah, it is a very, very good film. But regardless, yeah. I'm glad I remembered my thought. <laughs> I am too. Well, uh, Matthew, thank you so much for coming back. Uh, where, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me uh, on the internet, uh, mostly on Twitter at BioImportance or my show at Polyhedron Cast. Uh, you just look up Polyhedron uh, or Polyhedron Podcast on any of your uh, podcatchers if you enjoy RPGs. You, that's generally how you can find us or find me and my co-host, Ryan and Scott, uh, where we do the show. Great. Well, thank you again. And, you know, hope to have you back soon. You'll have to think of something else to, to come back on. Oh, and yeah, talk absolutely. About. 100%. I can talk about movies all day, <laughs> every day. Uh, awesome. But yes, uh, I will think of something good for next time. I appreciate <laughs> being on. Thank you very much. Thank you.